Like Cutie Car, K. Michelle Gordon also hails from Ngāti and it was there on the East Coast at Tokomaru Bay Hall while at Kabahaka practice in the 70s that provided the setting that would lead to her first encounter with mm-hmm, Prince Tuiteka. Q, her auntie, and Kapahaka tutor Ngoi Pewhairangi, a remarkable composer of waiata and te reo Māori language advocate who recognised untapped talent in the then 19-year-old. The rest is history. It wasn't long till she was heading to Australia alongside Prince Tuiteka. She would stay there for 30 years. Home now is in Petone. Justine visited Kay Michelle and her fiancé, Neville McClutchy Baker, over a cup of tea to talk about whānau, music, anthems and TV talent shows. Ko hikorangi taku maunga, ngāti prorongo whakata, ko waipu taku awa, ko Douglas Pomari, Gordon taku papa, ko Charlotte, so from the start, let's clarify a bit of, uh, you know, your name, only because perhaps those who have followed you throughout your career are not necessarily aware that you have kind of changed your name. So previously, say uh, a decade ago, you were? Yes, I was Kay Gordon. Kay, K-A-Y-E. That's correct. Kay Michelle Gordon Kay was Michelle. my name. And uh, I was just saying, you know, years of... um. In Australia, people calling me Kate and Katie, and uh, I'm not a Kate and Katie. No, just respect to all the Kate and Katies. Um, <laughs> and I love my middle name. It never gets used. So, uh, yeah, I, I legally changed it to K. Michelle, C-A-I-I hyphen Michelle. I was living in the nurse's home at Dupree Springs Hospital, <laughs> and I was the secretary to the head of Dupree Springs Hospital then. Uh, Richard Hickey was the boss. And I was in Auntie Ngoi Pifarangi's kapaka group in Tukumaru Bay. One day we were having a kapaka practice, as you do, and uh, this uh, quite big Māori man and his wife, who incidentally I found out was my cousin, um, came into the hall and sat in the corner. I didn't, I didn't know who they were, but everyone was like, oh, whispering, and oh my gosh, and Auntie Ngoi's going, you know, hoi hoi, you know, concentrate. Concentrate on what you're doing. Anyway, um, that person was Prince Tuiteka. <laughs> and I was the only one in the hall that didn't know who he was. <laughs> so I come from a quite sheltered life in the country, yeah. one of 16, and so we never got out to, you know, hear the radio or, you know, see shows or anything. Why did you go? What Was there a part of you that think, well, actually, I don't want to do that? Was there any part of you that... Well, the thing is, I loved singing. And, and, and there was a while there I didn't understand, but Auntie Ngoi sat down and she said to me, she said, you can do this. She said, you can do this. And I said, do what? She goes, you can sing with Prince Tuiteka. She said, you have the voice. She said, you have the talent. She said, Tui will show you. Because Prince Tuiteka, of course, is two voice. So I'm thinking you had never been... Um Exposed to this no, great Māori entertainer? Never. To be honest with you, I was um, uh, almost 19 going oh. on 12. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really been anywhere. And what was happening was um, Prince Tuiteka had been going around the North Island looking for a young talent to take to Australia. 
and he um, had made his way to the coast um, because Auntie Ngoi said, well, come up here and have a look. So he did, and um, after our performance, Auntie Ngoi turned around and said to Prince Tui, which I didn't realise really at the time what was going on, take that one, which that one was me. And then Prince Tui said, yes, you know, he agreed. And then three days, I was gone. He came up to see my mum and dad up the driveway in his flash car. <laughs> Valiant, no, no. Oh, his flash car, I'll never forget it. My mum and dad knew who he was. I was oblivious, Justine. I had no idea what I was getting into. I was really being obedient to everyone. My mother and father were thrilled for me. Auntie Ngoi was being obedient to her and respectful. I was being obedient. How can there be a song without the music? How can there be a wedding without the sea? The lightning needs the thunder as a speaking voice, oh yeah, and I must have you for the life of me. Three days, you in three days you left the comforts of home, your whanau, to go to with to to mm. go with Prince Tuiteka. Yeah. Um, now, are we talking the show band era? Which yes, era are we talking yes, about? Yeah. We um, well, it was Prince Tuiteka, the art, the art, the entertainer. He was the most famous club singer, cabaret singer, performer in Australia at the time. Which I had no idea about all this. But he came and saw my mum and dad. He explained to my mum and dad. He promised he would take care of me. And told them what he would, what sort of things I'd be doing, which my mum and dad couldn't even really fathom. They understood it, but it was a wow. It was a it was a wow for everybody. Mm. Did they need? Did they need to to, to um, financially give you? No, no, nothing. you just no, no. Two said no, no. He'll look after me, and um, pack my little one bag. <laughs> That's all my one my life's belongings. Um, I was extremely very very close to my mum and I oh, I was so homesick I missed her for two years I always to cry every mm. night just about <laughs> it was hard it was hard but you know what once that got on my blood something else started to happen it felt right what kind of person was he? well you know to me the power comes from within and he just had to walk in the room but because he was so gracious and so humble he was the kindest the most gracious humble um, and yet demanding but only on stage everything on stage he was he wasn't off stage on stage he was he was the professional superstar he was demanding he was the diva he was everything that you would wish you could be in an entertainer off the stage, he was kind and caring, um, and he was professional in his teaching and coaching. He was patient. Oh my gosh, he was the saint of patience. Hmm. Saint Mary MacKillop and him would, you know, <laughs> be up there having a good chat about patience because, you know, that she was the saint of patience, and, and Prince Tuiteka was too. He was amazing. 
What's your favourite Prince Tuitika song then? My favourite was um, Il Silenzio, where he did with the trumpet. Three days you jetted over to Australia. <laughs> Thirty-three years later, <laughs> you're back in Aotearoa. Um, obviously, you had your whānau over there. You became a citizen 16 years ago. Yes. Um, I, a lot of times I haven't had my whānau over there. Um, I missed, that's the one thing I missed was the whānau, um, why I'm so close to my friends over there. They're my whānau. So how long did the show band... Um, performing last with Prince Tuiteke and what did you move on to and how did you start yeah. your um, your sky, your career was to skyrocket somewhat? Yes, well, uh, two and a half years with, with Prince Tui. Uh, our last song we learned together was E Poor before it came home to New Zealand to be a hit song here. Um, Tui wanted me to come home and tour with him but it was well in my blood then. Um, I wanted to stay. So you, but you would have been about, what, 21? Yes. 21? I was. I was 21. And Prince Tui and Missy went home. I stayed and uh, started looking for a job, a singing job. I did some work with a wonderful Māori entertainer, a wonderful man. Johnny Walker was um, very renowned in, um, for his guitar playing. He was um, amazing. I sang in his band a bit till I found my own gig, which... Um, I replied to a, a, um, an, an audition, oh. an ad in the paper. <laughs> audition. I went and auditioned. It's the only audition I've ever had in my life. And I auditioned for the lead singer, guitar player in a band, a covers band in Sydney, and got the gig. And that was my first gig on my own in a band. Mm. And we did full-on in Sydney um, functions, corporates. So... To me, I started at the top of the ladder in the industry and then in a, as a band went into the top, which is the corporate industry. It was, um, you know, a lot of entertainers, they got to sort of start going to the pubs. Yeah. Or, you know, for some reason, God blessed me and said, no, you don't need to do that. But I did, we did do some pub scenes and I, I love that too. But we mainly did corporate Cool. So that would have been what era? What late? That was in the um, the eighties. Yep, the eighties. And then uh, in eighty four, my son was born. Um, I was married then, very briefly. My beautiful son James, and I went out on my own. I thought, as a single mum, I need to put my own show together. The money was more for less time, so I'll be spending less time in the entertainment industry and more time at home. If you're in a band, it's long hours, four-hour gigs, five-hour gigs. If you're doing a show, half hour on the stage, one hour max, off home. But a show must be more expensive. It is. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it takes a a lot of time to practice, but at least you're practicing at home, which is what I needed because I was a single mum. It took me three months to put my show together, and then it was really to survive but Prince Tui had given me instilled in me that ability to do that 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 confidence that experience with him 
enabled me to do that at such a young stage of my life and being on my own. I was terrified. Once again, I found myself terrified alone and terrified. Mm. Yeah, it could be a single mum, young, young, young boy to raise, and you're trying to produce or get underway your own show. Gee. It was tough. But, you know, the greatest gifts that my mother instilled into me is um, love and faith and uh, a faith in God. That is what has got me through everything, everything in my life, you know, and the belief that I'm here for a greater purpose. So you've decided to do a bit of a rendition of Oh Mum. Yes, I've done it. Yes. I have. Any chance for a little a cappella version? Emma, I love you. Yes, I do. You know I do. Yeah, that's a Oh, it's lovely. And then um, I actually sing it in trio. Emma, aroha anna, kia koe. In Australia, um, you kind of almost built up, you really built up a profile. You sung national anthems at huge stadiums. Um, You did your own shows. Um, what was the height of your um, career, and what what's, what's a, um, a highlight? What's, what was a, I tell you, a bit of a lot? I have to be honest. I, a lots of I have a lot of highlights in Australia because I've worked on the international stage from Australia. I've done ten Bledisloe Cups, and I sung for Australia and New Zealand. Um, I'm the only singer in Bledisloe that's done both anthems out of Bledisloe, and that was in Hong Kong. In, in so you sung the Australia and New Zealand. What year was that? Was um where are we now? Two thousand thirteen, twelve, eleven. When was Hong Kong Bledisloe? The last Hong Kong Bledisloe. Okay, I last think it Hong was Kong Bledisloe. A few years ago. So you're on the podium. You sung Australia first. Yeah. Then you, did then, you sing Te Reo? Yes. Oh. Always. Yeah. Always. Yes. True. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. Um. So that was one of the highlights. What's it like? Well, my first Bledisloe, two thousand. Um, Australia, New Zealand, uh, 110,000 people in the stadium. It was the most nerve-wracking, <laughs> amazing experience. It's the toughest gig that you'll ever have to do. That's why so many singers mess it up. Why do they mess it up? Um, because? Justin, because it's the most difficult gig any singer could ever do. And the sad thing is these organisers, they think it's so simple. So they try and get these singers for cheap or for nothing, in fact, that's probably not so true with this sort of thing because I've seen absolute professionals, professionals who are fantastic singers on the stage, mess up an anthem because it's the toughest gig you're ever going to have to do in your life because when you're standing in that stadium, you're working with massive speakers out and you've got a, like a two-second delay. Second delay. Mm. And what happens is it becomes so overwhelming <clears throat> when you're out there you cannot allow yourself to lose focus for a second. Now, humanly, that's difficult. We're constantly, you know, losing focus in matters of seconds. And so what happens is you, the moment you allow your ears to go out there, you're gone. And it's not because a lot of those singers aren't good. 
it's because that is the toughest gig. And organisations need to hear this. They need to get serious about their anthem singers and hire singers that are professional at it and that can do it. That's why you get people like, um, oh, she's my absolute icon, Tina Turner. Mm. She's smart. She would never sing live in a stadium. You've got to mind it because it's, it's too difficult. Um, you've got superstars that will mime in a stadium because they cannot afford to mess it up live. So many other events. Um, one another event I'm so proud of. Um, Australia celebrated 30 years relationship between China and Australia. I was the only English singer chosen in Australia to represent um, Australia and uh, I had to learn um, a, a ballad in Chinese and do a duet with a famous Chinese opera singer and yep so I did that duet that was Can an amazing. Can you give us a little example? Young yo Ku yo yo ba It's actually called Bang Yo, it's about a friend Another um, wonderful highlight in my career, which was an amazing experience, I was selected by a talent scout from America, out of Australia and New Zealand, um, to represent Australasia in the World Championships Performing Arts in LA. Wow. Yeah, and I went in... As a participant. Yeah, I went in five vocal categories. Wow. And one of those categories was Spanish. And I was against, um, there were uh, 31 countries in the competition. It was um, arts, it was dancing, you know, modelling, singing. And um, there were nine countries in the, in the Latin section, and I won the gold medal in that one. I mean, that ties nicely in with um, your, your, your whakapapa, your roots. Absolutely. Um, can we talk about that? Jose Manuel. Yes, yes. It's my great, great, great grandfather, Jose Manuel. He was a navigator that came to New Zealand after James Cook um, stopped at the coast, as East people coast. love to do, <laughs> our beautiful beaches and our beautiful women up there, <laughs> well, and took three women as his wives, and one of those women are my great 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 grandmother. And, um, and her name was okay, Michelle. What was your name? P- um, Tapu, Putty Tapu. So your is... paniora, that's the term yes. of Māori. Yes. Spanish. Yes, Māori Spanish. My mother is a goldsmith. My grandma, my grandmother's a goldsmith, and you can see it. You can see it in the in the features. I can see it in your features, but definitely. You, yeah. People always try to claim me in Australia, you know, as a a Spanish or an Italian or a, a Greek or an anything. But you know, I say no, no, no. I'm Māori. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no. Taihua. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Taihua. I'm Māori from New Zealand, you know, and, and I love that. What's your take um, on these reality? talent x-factor uh, idol programs a part of me actually dislikes intensely what those shows represent i have seen in australia those shows soul destroy young artists and that is something i am so against our young artists start to be encouraged and built up and they soul destroy them the public don't see the ones that are soul destroyed yeah no but we they just... are um it's like they're a puppet in the game and then they're dropped like a basically look just like a rock dropped uh and they have to emotionally deal with that yeah it just I, goes against everything yeah I, believe in. I mean you know just as a side comment i i was reading um you know ellen degeneres the talk show host i was reading one of her or her latest book and the reason she quit american idols because See, i love her yeah she just could not handle or she just didn't like 
saying to people, actually, no, I didn't like that. She just didn't have the heart for it yeah. to tell people. Yeah, I love her. She she couldn't be in shows like that because, you know, she's she she won't play the game. She won't play the game because she's just so straight up and true to who she is. But you have to play their game, you know, the, the recording company's game. You've got to play the, all their game. And I just, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. My job as a, as a professional artist on this earth, and if I am to be a part of having an influence in any artist's life, you know, we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. So I will only do it and put myself in a space where I can help and be an advantage to that artist, not crush them. Kia ora. Okay, Michelle Gordon, nor Nasi Poro and Rongofukata. Now, you heard her talking about Pani order. Now, that's a term used to describe Māori with Spanish heritage, and they are all over the East Coast. Keep an eye and ear out at something. Playwright Bri Gray Smith touches upon in her latest play.